This is the Voices of Misery podcast. This show isn't for the easily offended, so PC Police on Patrol stand by. You've been warned. Now, let's join the nerd and nerdette with another podcast for that ass. In the cave, for days, only a spark. Welcome back to another episode of the Voices Misery Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am, of course, the nerd. I am doing this one solo today because, you know what? My wife, she's just a little she's just a little scared because she knows nothing about the sport that we're going to talk about next. I don't know a lot about it either. That's why we have a professional one to kind of teach me and school everyone out there listening, you know, about the fight game. And I'll tell you what, before we got on the air here, I watched a couple of his recent fights, and man, he knocks people out quick. So this may be the shortest episode ever because he'll knock my punk ass out quicker than he took out James Keenan. <laughs> Ladies, I tell people when these hand grenades start flying, bodies start dropping. Hell yeah, man! Ladies and Blake Bulletproof Troop, Blake, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. I'm very well. I just signed a fight. I got a big fight coming up Friday the 13th in March. Oh, so the nightmares coming back out to put somebody to sleep. Who is getting put to sleep this time? I'm not allowed to announce yet, but within the next week, stay tuned to my social media people at Bulletproof Troop on Instagram, and I'll be announcing who the next victim's going to be. But it'll be a big fight, main event on Fox Sports. Oh boy! Oh shit, sure, man! Biggest what, fight of my career. Got me. Oh boy! Well, you, well, you look in great shape. I think you're. I think you're ready to go. You look like you're ready to rock and roll, man. Look yeah, at these. Really good. I'm actually. I'm actually moving. Up. Oh man, those guns come with a safety. <laughs> I'm actually moving up to heavyweight. My last six fights have been at 205 pounds. And I um, I feel like cutting weight is, um, it puts handcuffs on my body's ability to perform. And slowly over the last five and a half years of my career, I've been moving up more and more weight. I actually fought at 170 pounds uh, early in my career. A lot of my fights are at 185, um, then 205. This is my first fight at heavyweight. And um, I really feel like, now I'm finally completely taking the handcuffs off my body's ability to perform. I'm a bad man. But when I cut weight, bad man for about five minutes. And uh, <laughs> I just don't think that – and so I'm not competing at 100% when I would be cutting, cutting down weight. This is the first time I feel like my body's going to be at 100%. I don't think anybody can stand up to me at 100%. So I'm really excited to be moving up to heavyweight. And uh, not just that, but I'm, I'm, I'm the self-proclaimed – king of combat sports so i gotta be at heavyweight i can't be hiding behind a weight class so coming out making my debut at heavyweight main event fighting for the strap i'm excited so let, let me ask you a question here about the weight class thing because i'm an idiot i'm very naive that's why i have people on that are experts they, they yeah. teach me things you know do you find that you fight better at heavyweight do you find like you're stronger at a heavier weight and lighter and faster at a smaller weight um you know for me personally i feel like i'm about the same speed i haven't actually fought at heavyweight yet but the majority of my training even fighting at 185 pounds i was walking around at heavyweight over 206 pounds is, is heavyweight so i mean i've been walking around 220 to 230 fighting at 185 or 205 pounds and I do fantastic in training. I do very well typically in the fight as well. But the amount of time that I'm able to keep up that pace and um, output is significantly shorter after a weight cut. So for me personally, I think that this will be the best version of Blake Troop that has ever stepped inside of a, inside of a cage. So I'm really I, excited about it. I, do, I seem to do very well um, against a lot of guys in training. Heavyweights, um, big dudes, 
you know. Um, so I'm excited to be unleashing that bulletproof troop on my next opponent. Now, how is that opponent picking process? Like, how, how does that take place? Do you have an agent or do you just kind of call somebody out? So early in my career for the first few years, I had a manager, but I didn't feel like he did a great job of getting me the right fights or building me the right way. Or um, I, I wasn't stoked with the direction that things were going. So um, about three and a half years ago, I left his gym and I, and I started training at Black House headquarters and began managing myself. But another big aspect that changed for me was I started my brand of Bulletproof Troops, started walking around this grenade chain. I already had the logo, but I mean, where I really started pushing the whole Bulletproof Troop brand. And as a result of that, I've taken, a, I've completely taken the wheel on my career. I make all the calls for me I, and I get fantastic opportunities. My last five fights um, have either been main events, co-main event or feature fight, which is right before the co-main event. Uh, my last two fights have been co-main event and now fighting main event. I'm coming off of a loss and moving up a weight class. And I went from co-main event to main event. Um, so I negotiate all my stuff and I've negotiated really cool things in my, um, in my, in my compensation because I'm a very innovative negotiator and I don't necessarily always look for money. I feel like there's other opportunities that I can, other forms of compensation that I'm able to use to reinvest back into my company and build my company even bigger, build my brand even bigger so that I can eventually take this somewhere beyond fighting. Most fighters just fight. They don't really have a, a what's next plan. And that's something that I really pride myself on is I know what's next for me. You know, the professional wrestling world is what's next for me. And I've been doing a lot of things to build a brand up enough that I can transition over into the professional wrestling world. Because bull <coughs> Bulletproof Troops is essentially a professional wrestling gimmick in yeah. MMA. <coughs> Well, that's something I kind of want to ask you about, too, because I noticed the chain first, and it's like you have something that pops about you, and it's like the people that you're fighting against, so I was like, who the hell is this guy? Like, I want to see him. He's he's cool. You know, he's got a gimmick. People are going to pay for that. And so I, have, I even wear this to wrestling events and things like that, and um, I remember when I was out at WrestleMania week, I went to a bunch of shows, and um, I was at Impact walking around, and, and typically when I'm at shows, and especially when I'm on the floor, I walk around a lot. I like I want people to see me, like, who the is that guy? You know, especially if I got the yeah, chain yeah. and stuff. And so later in the week, WrestleMania week, I'm watching um, WrestleMania somewhere and I'm talking to this couple. And they're like, and I've been talking to them for like a half hour. We're getting along really well. We're, um, you know, hanging out, watching the show. And um, they're like, hey, so we saw you at Impact on Thursday. And we're like, look at that douche. Like, I so ridiculous in this big grenade chain. And like, and now we're sitting here talking to you and you're super cool. And I was like, I mean, I get people clown me a lot. Some people really like it. Kids love it. But the thing at the end of the day is you remembered me. You saw me on Thursday. How many people have you seen here at WrestleMania week? How many pro wrestlers or whoever? And you saw me and remembered me until Sunday. So much to the point that you said something to me on Sunday. Like, you know, I saw you before. It's intentional. You know, I intentionally do things to make myself stand out. Uh, part of the reason I shave my head and I look like this. I mean, I like to look like this, but. It's memorable. People remember me, you know, and I think that's a huge part of, of building a brand, you know, where I've got my hand grenade, I've got my little sayings, you know, I've got the big grenade chain, you know, it's a bunch of things that tie together to make, um, you know, brand equity, essentially, you know, to the point where, you know, I mean, I'm not as big, but you start seeing grenades or hearing people talk about hand grenades and people know, oh, yeah. too, you know, just like the Nike swoosh, you see that swoosh and you know what time it is, you, mm -hmm. you know, there's a standard 
level of quality that comes along with the brand. Same thing that I do for myself. I really treat my brand um, as a business and an asset, you know, and that I'm trying to keep in mind that the objective is to build this brand into a household recognizable name around the world, you know, yeah. by doing things to be memorable, like wear the chain and, and have the catchphrases and cutting promos and, and to be entertaining because at the end of the day, the fight business, it's show business. This is the entertainment industry. Like Conor McGregor is a perfect example. I'm not going to say Conor can't fight, but Conor can absolutely fight. He's an entertainer. He gets people yeah. to tune in oh, yeah. whether you want to see him win or lose. He's an entertainer. He's got his mm -hmm. little catchphrases. He's got things that he says, you know, um, and he's got the top. He's got like 10 of the top fighters in the world talking about fighting in between Bob, Manny Pacquiao, yeah. Floyd Mayweather, Loma Chang, and like, dude, those, it's not even the sport he's in. Yeah. No, it's fucking um, ridiculous, man. But it's it's about for me being entertaining. And I looked at guys like like Connor. And again, I'm gonna go back to say the guy can absolutely fight. I'm not saying he can't fight, but he he 100% got fast tracked to the top and got much bigger opportunities than he, in my opinion, deserved. And when I say that, I'm talking about you're talking about when he fought uh, Mayweather. You're talking about arguably the the best ever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an arguable thing. There can be different opinions on it, but arguably the best ever against a guy who's never even boxed professionally yeah. or amateur, like, and I'm not going to say he didn't do well in the fight or that, like I said, he could fight, but he got there because he could talk. They went yeah. around the world doing a, doing questions and answers all over the country or all over the world because he could talk. He take, people would tune in to watch this fight, mm -hmm. you know, and so by being entertaining, and that's exactly what that, I mean, that was a very professional wrestling-esque buildup where there's like, we're going around, we're going to have our little disrespectful things back and forth. And then we're gonna fight at the end of the day. How did you come up with the name Bulletproof? And how did you come up with the grenade? Because it, I mean, it's really cool. It's, it's. I mean, like uh, I can see it was sold in concession stands. So, so my last name is Troop. My name's Blake Troop, and so I've always kind of been interested in military stuff. My grandfather was a colonel in the Air Force. My dad was in the Air Force. My uncle, my grandpa on the other side was in the Navy, I believe. Uh, but so my family's been around the military a lot. I grew up basically like I'm not my family so much being military my dad was when i was younger but um so i've always been into like camouflage and things along those lines and when i was coming up with the nickname bulletproof troop just kind of it comes off the tongue nice and i get out <laughs> you'd almost think the troop isn't my last like it's like blake bulletproof troop you'd expect like another you know um so that's just kind of how the bulletproof came i came up with that and i and then my first fight using it i had a wild brawl fight I ended up getting this big scar on my forehead. There's blood everywhere. You might have seen me post a picture recently. Just blood everywhere. So that was for the first fight. I did Bulletproof Troop. And um, and then I tell people, like, they call me Bulletproof because, man, I'm just going to keep coming forward. It don't matter what you hit me with. Being Bulletproof doesn't mean you don't get hit. It means you keep going towards your objective. But so Bulletproof, I just came up like that, you know, and um, I've always been a big fan of camouflage and stuff like that. So camouflage is, like, my team colors. So a lot of my shirts have camouflage sleeves. Like, so here's... What about like a three-quarter baseball sleeve? Oh, camouflage. That's nice. I like yeah, that. These are, yeah, these are dope. Um, and so I give a free T-shirt away with every ticket sale. So I have like 150 people at the fights now rocking my camouflage. So it's like, man, who is this team? Like, what is, like, what is this? Yeah. You know? Um, Brilliant. And so with the grenade, I had, because I've always been into the military stuff, um, I had a girlfriend get me a flask that was like a grenade flask, the original grenade chain. And I was just like, I'm going to spray paint this thing gold and I'm going to wear it out when I come out. And I was like half 
joking, sort of, but I was kind of building the gimmick. Yeah. And so I did it and it was a hit. People were just like, what? Like, you know, and then um, I eventually sent the original grenade chain to a, um, a kid fan of mine. And so now I have an actual grenade replica. Like this, this whole chain probably weighs like 10 pounds. It's really heavy. Um, but so, and I just, because my, I have, I've had this hand grenade logo for all, all five and a half years of my fighting. Um, so the grenade, um, kind of just, Hey, stop pushing. Hey, you stop pushing. Lay down. That's a, that's a, that's a big dog right there. He's like, <laughs> I want to be in the video too. <laughs> um, but so, and then I just kept building on that where I started talking about the hand grenades when hand grenades start flying, you know, um, mm-hmm. And I just continue to build little things on it and build little things on, um, you know, I call my style of fighting big brother jujitsu. I tell people they need to treat it like, anno- like an annoying little brother, mm-hmm. you know, and I just continue to build little things around my brand that, um, that all kind of tied together. You know, I started a motivational video series called how to become bulletproof. And it was things that I did to get myself to where I'm at in my life. Cause it's not all, I haven't always been stoked with where I'm at. I almost gave up on my fight career like three and a half years ago before I started Bulletproof Troop and I realized I needed to do a big overhaul in what I was doing to really make it to where it was that I was trying to go. And so, I mean, a lot of these things all tie in because like I said, be, how, to, how to become Bulletproof, bro, you're not, it's, everything's not going to be smooth sailing. It's not all success. You're not hitting the target every time. Uh, what are you going to do to figure out what the target is you want to hit? How are you going to get that? Creating a plan, you know, and then dealing with adversity, change adapting those plans based upon as you learn like different roads ahead you know and and how to navigate those different roads you know so do you find a lot of people getting overlooked in favor of people have bigger personalities and is that why you've adopted it yourself 100 percent. you know um i mean you can even look at a guy like kobe covington he was he was right there about to be cut from the ufc and since then he's fought for the interim belt we won it and fought for the title would I say that he wouldn't be there if he didn't do his whole little MAGA gimmick? I couldn't say no, but man, I bet you that helped. You oh, know? Yeah. Um, yeah. People eat that shit up, man. Yeah, you know, and like whether people want to see you win or lose, I mean, he definitely went more so on the heel turn with that and push and pushes it really hard. <laughs> but I mean, it's it got him enough publicity to the point where I absolutely think it helped this career. It's definitely helped mine. I know that. Bulletproof Troop, my brand has significantly helped me in a lot of my, um, a lot of the opportunities that I've reached since I began the brand. The first fight I would have had one way or the other without the Bulletproof Troop. But after that, I've gone on, I've gone four and one of my last five fights. And I would say all of those had to do mostly with the brand, not entirely, because I mean, fight skill and things like that come into account. But I absolutely think it's significantly helped me and that there's guys. I mean, Chael Sonnen is another perfect example of a guy who's yeah. he didn't quite have a gimmick, but I mean, he's kind of a the, you start seeing flavors of professional wrestling. And another guy who I would say is the first guy to really have, besides myself to have a gimmick is Tito Ortiz, yeah. bad boy. He had his flame shorts, he had his bleached hair, you know, like called himself the uh, Huntington Beach bad boy, like a nickname that he really pushed hard, you know. So like, I think it absolutely helped guys like Tito or myself, you know, um, Connor. Uh, Kobe, there's not a ton of guys who do it, you know. Um, I would say that the next kind of gimmick we're going to see is BMF with Jorge Masvidal. Oh yeah, you know, and he's a he's a bad dude, you know. Dude, uh, I think I think he'll fuck Connor up if they fight, man. I do. That's a tough. I mean, if of all the fights to watch, I want to see that or Justin Gaethje versus um, Conor McGregor between uh-huh. those. I mean, like the, <laughs> those be, those be fun fights to watch, and that's and like Connor can fight. 
That's why I say, like, I, when I bring up him getting fast-tracked, I'm not trying to discredit his fighting ability. I'm just saying there were more at play than strictly his fighting ability, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. Well, the thing about uh, Jorge Masvidal is, like, I see him as kind of like the New England – or I'm sorry, about Conor McGregor. I see him more like uh, the New England Patriots. When football teams play the Patriots, it's like a Super Bowl game every Sunday. You're going to get their best, you know? Yeah. So I, I just think that Masvidal, he's so hot right now. He's like the hottest fighter on the planet. And the way, you know, McGregor's back and, you know, he just had this big win over Cowboy. I think if they fight, Jorge's just going to steamroll with all that momentum. I don't think Conor stands a chance. I think so, too. I think especially the way that he just steamrolled fucking Nate. He made Nate look bad. Yeah. You know, um, I I would be surprised. I, I'm not really sure who's going to beat Jorge Masvidal. I mean, he's a tough dude. He's it not surprising, though, if they take Connor to go fight Usman next. I think that's a smarter fight for them than um, Jorge Masvidal. I think they have a lot to lose with Jorge versus I think he – has a better chance of beating Usman. Usman's got a great wrestler, but dude, I mean, I don't think Connor should fight Khabib again. I think that's going to be a no, horrible matchup. Yeah, I, they're sure. pushing it though. Um, but yeah. that was well, a wild fight though. Connor versus Cowboy. Yeah, well, he came out guns blazing, caught him with a few of those shoulder strikes. That mm -hmm. man, I was, I was impressed. I was really impressed with Connor in his last fight, and I think. I think, like I was saying, taking the handcuffs off your body's ability to perform, I think same thing with Conor. I think that was the best Conor McGregor we've seen. And can you believe people were saying that shit was fake? That, like, he was paid to take a fall? Yeah, I mean, I can see why people would say that because I would have expected more out of Cowboy in, in his other fights. But anybody who's seen Cowboy knows that he really struggles with big fights. When he fought Rafael Dos Anjos, it was basically the exact same fight that happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a liver punch that put him down. Um, but for the people that are like, oh, it was a fix. He took a dive. Like, bro, did you see those shoulder shots and that kick? And they're like, he took damage. Did he allow himself to take damage? Maybe. I don't think he would, though. And mm -hmm. I mean, Cowboy's not a guy who really needs money. Everyone's like, oh, $200,000 payday. Like, bro, it's not that much money compared to how much guys have made fighting Connor. And that dude's mm -hmm. got money. It's not like. It's not like he's some broke fighter that's just going to be like, fuck it. <laughs> fuck yeah. it. Oh, exactly. Well, yeah. let me ask you this. I don't want to talk about those guys. I'm, I'm going to talk about you. When did you decide to get into the fighting? And, and uh, like, what was the process for you to get in? So, um, I had been training since about 2001. I had a friend who was overweight when I was a freshman in high school, a family friend. And he's like, hey, I want to start doing kickboxing you down. And I just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. And we just happened to go to a legit school. And in 2001, they weren't, like, all over the place like they are now. But so we went, and I was naturally pretty good at it, and I enjoyed it. Um, and I'm a very outspoken person about my opinion. So as I got older, I continued to get into um, altercations. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd always been really good at fighting. Um, and I, and so um, I ended up training for a few years, and I ended up going to college. And uh, – dropping out of school and stuff and um when i dropped out i i moved back to southern california my parents were like i right, if you just want to fuck around and like go do your thing and so i ended up like moving in with one of my buddies and i got a job on the mat fight shop in like 2006 worked there for about three or four years became a manager and got very involved in the fight community and continued to train a lot um i got very involved in the fight community and so i had always had a really big passion and love for fighting i had been training since like 2001 
um, you know, working at the bite shop around like a lot of famous, and this is like when the sport was, was not even close to what it is today, you know, like 2006, like it's a lot, like a long time ago. Matt Hughes is the champ, you know? Jeez, yeah, can you imagine? I mean, um, time Yeah, I've been training for a long time around then, and I'd always wanted to fight. And in about 2010, I went back to school. My deal was with my parents, and I was very close to fighting right around then. My parents, I just, if you want to go back to school, we'll help you out. We'll pay for school, but you can't fight while you're in school. Once you graduate, we'll be supportive of it. So I ended up doing that. I ended up graduating from Long Beach State in probably 2014. Yeah, about 2014. And, um, and I ended up fighting like summer of 2014, fought six times in six months. Um, yes, yes, 2014. So it'll be six years this summer. Um, and so, but right before I ended up taking my first fight, I was, um, I was doing internship with Chivas USA, the major league soccer team. I'm a certified athletic trainer. And, uh, so I was on their sports medicine team and I'm talking to a coach one day during lunch and he's like, Hey man, so is this like what you want to do with your life? And I'm like, yeah, I really like athletic training, blah, blah, blah. blah. And he's like, you're not understanding me. Like, like, this is what you want to do with your life. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I really like athletic training, you know, like I'm always around sports and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, dude, you're not understanding what I'm saying. Like, this is like what you want to do with your life. And I kind of thought about it and I was like, I mean, yeah, I, I could see myself doing this forever. And I could tell that I wasn't answering his question. And so I thought about it as when I went home and it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. It would have been me settling for something that I enjoyed doing and could have been okay doing but it wouldn't have been me doing what I wanted with my life. Next day, I, that night, like I almost didn't sleep. And I decided, I was like, dude, I'm going to go take my first fight and blah, blah, blah. Put in my two weeks the next day and talk to the coach about it. And ended up fighting like a month later, six weeks later, fought six times in six months. And then just been fighting ever since. And so that was a pivotal moment in my life in terms of actually taking the steps to making the future that I wanted and doing what I really wanted to do with my life. Not what I would have been okay with. I would have settled for mediocrity and a mediocrity I would have been happy in, but I wouldn't, I would have been settling a hundred percent settling. Um, and I'm so glad I didn't. I'm so glad I didn't. Um, it's been a wild ride. I mean, it's been a lot of ups and downs and hardships and hard work and, and all that, but I'm, I couldn't be happier that I took the risk and gambled on myself and my dreams, you know, now, this is something I've always wanted to ask about a professional fighter. Um, this is my number one question for you here. How do you deal with, with the nerves before you go into a fight? Is there even any of that? Or are you just like, hey, this is just work to me? I mean, because I figure like you're across the ring from someone that's trying to take your head off. And you right. know, I, mean, I would definitely say it's a combination of there's definitely some nerves um, to an extent. Because typically, like, if you have, like, a, a regular fight in public, like, let's say it's a bar fight or whatever, the amount of notice you have is, like, maybe 30 seconds before shit pops off. But not in fighting. You got – I have seven and a half weeks to know. And I know this dude's training hard. I know I'm training hard. So one of the things that makes me feel good about my confidence going into it is that I prepare. The more I prepare, the luckier I seem to get. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, so um, I – I have a lot of confidence in myself, my abilities and, and, um, and my heart, you know, like I won't quit on myself in there. I've been in really bad spots. Um, my last two losses have been, I was like, I was getting beat up pretty bad, but I never quit. Um, the one, 
my first fight is Bulletproof Troop. I went to sleep in a chokehold, but I wasn't about to tap out, you know? So I know that I have a certain edge. I know that my, how far I can go is really far. And I know that I'll allow myself to take it as far as I possibly can. I tell people I'll fight. I'm not signing a competition. This is a fight to the death. I'm literally trying to kill my opponent and I'll die in that motherfucker, you know? So it doesn't really scare me. I'm like, I heard an interesting quote recently that said, death only scares the people that aren't living. Like, you're not out there doing what it is that you're like, man, if I died in the cage, I would, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'd be okay with it, but I, it would be a completely acceptable way for my life to come to an end. So, like, I get excited going in there, you know? It's, and there's no, nothing else in the world matters when you're in a fist fight, especially in a cage like that. Like, I mean, do you, people are like, oh, can you hear people scream? Kinda. But nothing else matters. It's me and this other dude in this cage. And um, I get excited for it because I have a lot of belief in myself and my abilities. Um, and I know that I'm willing to do more than what I think other people are willing to do. So I feel very confident going into the cage because it's very rare that I'll come up, with a, come up against a guy that's willing to stand up to what I'm willing to throw at him, you know, yeah. or... And because it, it can, also on the other end of the spectrum is when you throw a lot at a guy, he just keeps coming at you. So <laughs> exactly. And I know, I know they're going to get to that point where they're just like, what the fuck do mm -hmm. I got to do for this guy? Yeah. The fight where I got choked unconscious, they're like talking about how this guy could knock out a rhinoceros and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I motherfucking took everything he could throw. He had to choke me out. And they're just like, holy shit, Troop is not human. No wonder they call him bulletproof. <laughs> What's what's worse, getting knocked out or choked out? Oh, knocked out by far. Choked out, you just wake up in like 30 seconds. So when I got choked out from that fight, I was in a triangle choke and I ended up going to sleep. And I like wake up and I was gushing blood out of my face and stuff. So I wake up and I'm kind of on my knees from the triangle choke. Um, and as I'm like opening my eyes, I just see blood pouring because I got this big old gash right here. Oh, yeah, uh, like a, bunch, like a bunch of stitches. But so anyway, blood's just pouring. As the post picture I posted yesterday was just blood all over. Yep. I had literally just woken up. Blood's like pouring out of my face. And I'm like, because <sighs> your body's like lacking oxygen. So you're taking a really deep breath. Yep. I'm like kind of looking up, looking around. Everything's starting, not really in focus, but kind of coming back. And the doctor's like, hey, hey, Bob, like talking to me. And I like look over at him. And while I'm looking him in the eyes, I realize where I am and what's happened. I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> Um, I've never been knocked out in a fight, but I mean, there's a lot more long-term damage. Like getting choked out, you just kind of wake up. I mean, I've been choked unconscious a bunch of times. You just kind of wake up like, what happened? Where am I? I don't remember going to slouch. First time I ever got choked out, I was, I was doing a private lesson. And he showed me something and I got choked out with a choke and he like kind of wakes me up. And I was like, Oh, my bad. I didn't sleep very well last night. He's like, bro, I choked you out. You didn't go to sleep on your own. And I was like, oh, oh, that's what happened. <laughs> you like sit up and you kind of look around and you're like, oh, man. Oh, what the fuck? And then it kind of comes back to you. Yeah, yeah. Now, are you always on like 365 days a year or, and, and I mean, in reference to training, or is it like, like six, eight weeks or so before a fight? What, what's that um, process like? When you're um, it definitely picks up eight weeks out from the camp, training camp. Um, and that's when I'll start working a lot more on conditioning and things of that nature. Um, I'm always lifting. I always lift. Um, I'll typically stop lifting about five weeks out, four or five weeks out. Um, 
but I mean, it's kind of a lifestyle, you know, but I'm the, the level of intensity that I'm training at will vary based upon if I have a fight and how far out I am from that fight. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm close to fight time, we're training to tap. I'm training to finish guys and put guys away. Otherwise, I might be doing more so skill acquisition where I'm trying to get better at certain things. Like I was doing a lot of karate stuff like about a year ago um, to work on my really long range fighting. Um, so it really depends. I mean, I would say in my training year round, yes. The level of intensity of that training and the type of training I do will vary. Um, you know, if I, once I'm like five weeks out, it's basically mostly conditioning and very fight specific training. So I probably won't be doing like karate stuff so much. It'll probably be all wrestling jiu-jitsu and boxing, uh, boxing, kickboxing, you know? Um, but if I'm, if I don't have a fight lined up, I might be doing some, I might be playing with some flashy kicks or things like that. Um, or trying to learn some new stuff. Um, even like weapons training, like I like to play with the nunchucks and, and things like that. Cause you're just learning how to use your body in different ways and different ranges of attack and, and angles of attack, you know? Um, so I mean, it's a year round training, but, um, like I said, the level of intensity, especially the conditioning. I don't really like to run. I don't like to do sprints or conditioning and stuff. So I'm definitely not doing that unless I'm lined up to fight. Let me ask you another question here. It's something I've always wanted to understand about the fight process. Um, like, let's say if like a guy's signed a fight at 165, right? And they weigh in on the scale and then they're drinking water immediately. And then before you know it, like the next day, they gain like 20 pounds of water weight. I don't understand the rehydration process. Can you explain that? So um, essentially you have a couple hormones in your body that really, the main thing that you're manipulating is going to be water retention. Because um, liquids are really heavy and they're much easier to get in or out of you. Um, so you're essentially playing with your hormones. <sighs> Excuse me. Um, so you have two main hormones that are responsible for water retention. One's called aldosterone, which works very similar to sodium salt. And one's called um, vasopressin, also known as antidiuretic hormones. And so basically between these two um, hormones, it really controls, it has to do with how much water retention you have. The more water you're taking in, if you're just pounding lots and lots of water, your body stops making antidiuretic hormone. Um, a diuretic is something that makes you lose water. Typically it makes you pee, like coffee's a diuretic. You drink coffee, you're going to have to take a piss. So it causes an antidiuretic, prevents you from losing um water so by taking in absurd amounts of water your body stops producing antidiuretic hormones it's like dude we don't need to save any of this shit we have fucking plenty so that's one of them the other one's aldosterone which has to do with sodium levels in the body and um so the more sodium and it, it, it works very similar to sodium in the body so if you're not taking in a bunch of sodium your body's producing aldosterone to kind of pull in some of uh or to manipulate the water levels in your body so that you have the right balance so another thing you'll be doing is just taking in loads of salt. Um, and so what happens is your body stops producing aldosterone. You're taking, they call it salt loading, sodium loading, and, um, and water loading. So by taking in absurd amounts of salt and absurd amounts of water, your body really stops producing aldosterone and vasopressin, antidiuretic hormone. So what happens is you're taking in absurd amounts of this stuff and then you cut it off and you just hit the sauna and your body just starts pouring water because it doesn't think it needs it anymore. It doesn't have the hormones to tell you to keep it. Then your body just drops absurd amounts of water. And when it realizes it needs more water, now it has to produce the hormones. Then the hormones have to go through the system to, to cause the water retention. And by then you've made weight. So that's kind of what happens. And so now you have 
high levels of these hormones and then you start rehydrating like crazy and your body wants to save everything because it's like, what the fuck's going mm-hmm. on here? But, you know, you're putting your body through a traumatic experience right mm-hmm. before the biggest, like right before, in my opinion, the fight to the death. You know, I'd put on 30 pounds after weigh-ins. Like when I fought at 170, I, I got in the cage over 200 pounds. When I fought at 185, I got in like 220. You know, I got in about 230 in my last fight. So it's, you're definitely really straining your body and making it hard for your body to do that. That's how, that's why you're able to put on so much. And so to give you an idea of how much 30 pounds is, a gallon of water weighs eight pounds. Mm-hmm. So like, fuck it, that's a lot. That's a lot of water. Oh, yeah. Some of it's going to be food and things like that that you're eating. But now you have this absurd amount of water in your body that your blood gets a little, dilu- not like crazy diluted down, but your body has a lot more water in places where it used to have water that had substance in it as well. Like, um, you know, like your glycogen stores and all these other things. So you have just water replacing it as opposed to water with the nutrients that your body needs to perform at hundred percent. This is why I'm so excited about not having to cut weight again. Cause I know when my body's ready to perform at that hundred percent, it's a scary, it's a scary oh, machine. Oh yeah. But how is that allowed in the fight game? Cause you would think like the health of the fighters would be more important than guys just making weight. You know, I, I couldn't touch that, to be honest. California's really trying to do a good job of regulating on some of this stuff where you have to have weigh-ins the day of your fight as well. So that, uh... That's the way it should be. I mean, like, that's the way you would think, idealistically, it would be. Like, all right, so, like, right before you walk out the curtain, we're going to weigh you again, and if you're above the weight, yeah, you can find... So it's about when you show up, you start getting your hands stayed, you'll the weight, and I want to say it's, like, 15% of your body weight. So if I fought at 205, I could go up to 230. 235, which I think 15, per, which at, at that weight, that's not crazy. But if you're talking about a 135 pound guy, that's like 20 pounds, like yeah. 50, I guess it starts. I mean, it's definitely a very tricky, slippery slope, but fighters were like, let us do whatever we want, blah, blah, blah. You know, so sometimes the commission's trying to protect us from being too tough for our own good. I think it's smart. Um, and I tell all my teammates that, and every time I get it gets brought up in interviews, why this is why I fought at 170, 85, 205, heavyweight, and now I'm like, just wait till you see heavyweight troop because I realize the negative impact that it's had on me and my performance, and it's why I'm such a big advocate of not cutting a ton of weight, you know. Um, but to each their own. Some guys it doesn't seem to affect them as much, you know. But then again, there's been people who have died, so I mean, it's to each their own, you know. Um, yeah, just I personally wouldn't do it if I was a fighter. It just doesn't make sense to me logistically. Just like you said, right before the biggest fight of your life, you're going to put your body through all this trauma, you know. And it's, right. it's just for a slight, first slight size advantage, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't really make too much sense, but uh, but I do want to bring up a moment that I saw in your fight, and I'm going to butcher this man's name, uh, Kadzbrod Bestayev. Oh, Kadzi Bestayev, yes, sir. Uh, so, I was I was in the ballpark. Yeah. Um, there was a moment of the fight, and it wasn't a very long fight. You you fucked this guy up, <laughs> but yeah, Kaz is actually moment. a good friend of mine too. Oh boy, well, well, well there's something else I'm gonna ask you about. So <laughs> sitting there, and you're raining these fucking like haymakers on this guy. What what goes through your mind? Because I remember back in my high school fights, you would just throw a couple punches. You wouldn't even be thinking. You would just like almost black out, like out of sight, out of mind. You throw these punches, and it's over five minutes later. Right. When you're hitting someone, are you like tactfully like thinking like here, 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 here? Or are you just throwing? Yes and no. I mean, I would say it's a combination of just letting the animal out, but some strategy to it. Um, so the guy who's the referee for that fight was Frank Trigg. And yeah. Frank Trigg was the guy who was the referee in the first fight is Bulletproof Troop where I got 
and in the first round of that fight, um, I mean, I took a good amount of damage, but I got my guy down. And I was hitting him in a very similar position that I had Kaji. And I kept hitting him and looking at the ref. Hitting him and looking at the ref. <laughs> hitting him and looking at the ref. Like, are you going to fucking stop this? Yeah. He didn't stop it. And I ended up fucking losing that fight. And watching the fight, when I went back and watched it, um, it's something my coach said. He's like, dude, if you didn't fucking look at the referee to stop the fight, if you had just continued to unload viciously, you might have stopped the fight. Just kept looking at him. Go back. Looking at him. He's like, in that five seconds of looking back at him, instead of just being a psycho, might have won you the fight. So when I found myself in that position again against Kazi, I was no looking at the referee. I'm just going to fucking hurt you as badly as I can. You know? Um, so it's kind of a combination of the two. One of the things that I pride myself upon a lot is I tell people, I'm not going to come compete against you. I'm going to come fist fight you. And then I'm going to come let, let the animal out and, and you're gonna have to do, you're gonna have to fight me off, you know. Um, but so in like my last fight where the guy was tough and I ended up smashing him um, in the first thirty seconds, almost knocked him out, gassed out, spending everything chasing the kill, and ended up eating a bunch of damage. Um, with, where I plan on being a little bit more strategically calculated in my viciousness, you know. So before it was somebody getting locked in the cage with an animal. Now they're getting locked in the cage of a smart serial killer. You know, where I'm coming out, I'm going to be much more calculated with my aggression and my violence than, than just unleashing the animal and just let go, you know, yeah. which there's going to be some of that, but I'm going to be smarter about picking and choosing those times to let it go and more calculated and, and vicious with my strategic violence, you know. Friday the 13th, what better time to let the out? <laughs> now, I fucking love your fight style because you go out there and you want to knock people the fuck out. I mean, like, look at historically the most famous fighters in the world, Mike Tyson, fucking all, like, all, all these killers. Like, even like a Manny Pacquiao, he's always going for the knockout, you know? Is it's it more, a lot more exciting fights to watch? Yeah, like who, like, who the hell doesn't like watching heavyweight boxing for that reason? Like, look at Deontay Wilder, delays people the fuck out, and people love him for it. Those fucking hands. He's a fucking beast, man. Uh, so, is it more important for you to go for the quick finishes because, like, your your your, your finish rate's one hundred percent for all your matches. Like, you don't let fights go to this. All yeah. my finishes are in the first round. Yeah, crazy. I mean, I come out and I try and steamroll guys. I'm trying to roll over the competition like an Abrams tank, you know. Um, and I'm still going to try and get a first round finish in this one, but I'm going to be a little bit more strategic instead of it just like because straight up it's like. It's like the bull, bull rodeo where you just let open the cage and the bull's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's been. And, and not that it's not going to be similar to that, but it's going to be a little bit more strategic with the, mm. with the unleashing of it. I'm looking for first-round finishes. I'm looking to put my opponents away and hurt them as badly as I can, within the rules, but as badly as I can. And that's not going to change. But I will be a little bit more strategic about applying that violence. That's that's perfect. Now I want to get back to uh, I'm gonna screw his name again. Kaz Kazmar. Kazi. Yeah, Kazi. Kazi. E e even easier for me to say. So you guys were friends. Were you guys friends before the fight? Yeah. So we trained a bunch before the fight. Like there are pictures of us hanging out on. There's pictures of him on me and him on my Instagram and me and him on his Instagram. Like huh. we're friends. Um, and he trained in my gym a little bit. Um, he's more so out of the, our sister gym, uh, Kings MMA, and um. So when I got offered the fight, because um, I have a good relationship with Elvis, I got offered the fight a little bit before he did. And I was like, I'm with it, man. I'll fight my fucking mom. Y'all are offering me up my televised <laughs> fight. Like, let's run it. Um, 
I didn't care who it was against. And it happened to be against my buddy Cods. You know, I was like, I'm with it. So um, the next day, I'm flying back from Florida, and I get a call from, I get a call from him, and he, not, he we were friends, but he didn't have my phone number, friends. Like we're we're cool. There's pictures of each other, but we weren't like, like he didn't have my phone number, friends. So I land, and I get. I get like three text messages and it's like, Hey bro, give me a call. It's Kazi. Call me, bro. And I'm just like, and I know what it's about because I know he probably just got the call about the fight. So I'm sitting on the airplane still, you know, we're like taxiing. Like, what's going on, bro? And he's like, Hey man, you talk to LFA? I'm like, yeah, I talked to LFA. They offer you a fight? Yeah, they offered me a fight. Against me? Yeah, against you. <laughs> Are you going to take it? Yeah, I already accepted it. Are you going to take it? And he's like, yeah, uh, so and like that was it was a very awkward conversation. The guy next to me was like, like just like, looking at me like, <laughs> you know, uh, and so I like Kazi with that, you know, man, I'm I'd fight my mom, blah blah blah. And so the guy next to me was just like, because we're sitting on the airplane, it's like silent on the airplane, we're like taxiing back, talking about fighting my mom. Like, yeah, I accepted the fight, bro. It's hard, man. I'd fight my mom. <laughs> Yeah. Is it easy to turn off the emotion after a fight? Because like you lit him up like a Christmas tree at the end of that fight, and like you guys are cool at this point. So like, is there a moment where like you go to shake his hand? He's like, man, get the not right now, man. You just fucked me up. <laughs> you know? I like, mean, so in, in the we didn't have a moment like that. But after you fight somebody, there's two ways you feel about him. You either have a lot of respect for the guy or none. Um, you know, Kaji and I had respect for each other after. The fight, the fight where I got choked unconscious, I talked a lot. was when I began talking all my shit and, and all that. And that, that dude did not like me before the fight. After, we're great friends now because we had that fight. And we both know what the fuck each other are made out of from the fight, you know. Um, so I would say it depends on the fighter. And some guys are sore losers, you know. Um, like I'm after Andre Vasilenko, my last fight beat me. Nothing but respect to him, you know. Um, and social media and all that stuff too. Like I think it depends on the dynamic of the two guys and and then if a guy's able to be a, I mean, a good loser, I guess, is, or not, not sore loser. I mean, I don't really know how to phrase that, but because you'll see guys that lose a fight and they'll storm out of the ring before they even get their oh, hand yeah. in you know? Yeah. So like, I, for me personally, if I respect you at the end of the fight, then I can, I have no problem being, whether I won or I lost, being very cool with the person. Um, you know, um, I haven't had that time, at least professionally, where I haven't respected the guy at the end of the fight, you know. Um, so for me personally, I have no problem respecting guys. Um, but like I said, you can see guys storm out of the ring after they lose the match sometimes. Well, I mean, like pro fighters do have um, a lot of discipline because you guys, I mean, like you personally can walk into any Walmart in the country, know you could fuck everybody up in that bitch, right? But oh, like, yeah. like, like, you know that you can, but you're not going to. But right. you got these assholes that, you know, they were like the toughest kid in high school. You know, they're hanging out at a bar 20 years later, starting fights and getting, you know, it's, it's just like you, you guys can take a loss and you take it with a dignity. Like you were gladly talking about how you lost a fight. You got choked out and it just doesn't phase you. Right. You know, like there's, there's just something about that. Like well, I mean, part of, to get good at fighting, you've gotten your ass beat a lot of times. You've probably been choked out by girls. You've probably gotten lit up by kids. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, to get good at fighting, typically you've, you've gotten humbled a lot of times. Um, and typically the guys are these fucking loudmouth assholes. haven't done that. You know, they're used to being able to bully people or, or whatever, you know? Um, so the more hardship you've overcome and the more times you've been the nail, the easier it is to be a humble hammer, I guess, you know, um, not that I don't talk shit and stuff, but 
I can take a loss on the chin and, and learn from it and, and move forward instead of making excuses or this or that. Um, you know, most importantly, move forward and adapt so that I'm going to continue to get better. You know, um, like my last fight, I had took a loss. It sucked. But, I mean, I had such big lessons and growth that occurred because of that loss in different areas that I could change. Um, that I mean, that's part of life. Like, you know, if you can't, feel with failure then man it's life's gonna suck oh yeah for sure now, do you ever find people trying to test you out in public because you're really popular out in southern california right do you ever yes, see people like, hey, fucking bulletproof you go it's test them pretty rare and typically the people that'll try and test me have no idea who i am they just know that i fight and it's almost like they want to test enough to see if they can get away with testing but if something starts turning um like i had a guy who was like kept getting close to me and like talking to him like he would like if he if it popped off he'd beat my ass and would get all close to me and like i was like man you're starting to get really close to me and it's like yeah but i kind of hit me like well what are you gonna do and i just push this dude and he like flips over a stool and hits the ground he's like dude what the hell (laughs) i'm like and so the bartender ends up kicking us both out but she's like i'm sorry i have to kick you guys both out um there's a bar that i would regular back then and she's like i know that he was starting and her boyfriend was right there like dude this dude is so patient like he should have knocked that out like a half hour ago, you know. Um, but typically, it's just and the guy didn't really want to fight the guy. The guy wanted, I think, just kind of feel cool in front of his friends. And you're probably not even like, I think that I could probably take you down. And it's just like, you know, just like whatever, bro. You know, just like continuing to push it. But then when it actually came to having to do something, they're like, oh shit, I didn't, I didn't really want to fight you. You know, um, I just wanted to try and look cool in front of all my friends and this chick or try, like, you know, um, I would say that's more along the lines of what it is. I wouldn't say that I get tested to really, really try and do it. I think people try and see what they can get away with. Um, mm-hmm. but they know they're not going to fucking win. Um, and if they do, they're <sighs> delusional, drunk, stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're, because like, bro, I got like 50, 60 pounds on you and I, I do this for a living. Like. You really think that she would stand a chance? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like somebody would think they're going to go be able to jump up into an, an NBA basketball game and like hold your own. Like, well, you might, yeah. you might be able to, you might be able to go to the park and play a pickup game and smash a lot of people, but yeah. there's levels to this well, shit, my man. <laughs> well, people naturally have an over overinflated sense of self worth and importance, and when you mix alcohol to anything, it just magnifies by a hundred, man. I mean, like if I was at a bar and someone walked in, you know, I'm sitting there all you know feeling myself, what I can kick his ass, and you're with your wife and your friends, yeah, go get him, go get him, and before you know it, you're late the fuck well, dude, out. Dude, friends <laughs> always egg people on, too. They're, oh yeah, it's such like I don't want to say they're out, but. Half the time, it's kind of the friends, like, and they might not be egging you up, but they'll be, like, laughing you. And I'll say something like, I bet I could take you down. Oh, I'm just like, I'm about to slap both y'all motherfuckers. You're, <laughs> you're starting this, and you're going to fucking start. You're going to encourage this. I'm going to slap both of you. I don't even hit people anymore. I just slap them. I find that it a slap oh, says so much that. more than a punch. Oh, yeah. Slap. And people are just like, This motherfucker is I'm not even worth a punch from this guy, you know? Hey, let me ask you a question here, because um, like we're gonna look at the time here, and I know you got some somewhere else you got to be in a little bit. Do you think it's disrespectful when people come into like your 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 fighting, you know, like in MMA world, and from an outside perspective, thinking they can just do it? I I'm, I mean, like CM Punk, those boxers I mean, that try to cross yes over. Yes and no. Um, I can't hate on a guy like CM Punk for getting the opportunity to see the Goddard, or um, 
I encourage people to go out there and try and achieve their dreams and try what they want to do. It's a lot harder than it looks, though. As CM Punk found out, um, and he was like a tough guy, you know. Um, but I mean, he was a person that I saw get an opportunity into the UFC, and and, and at first I kind of hated on him. I'm like, well, how'd this guy get in the UFC who has zero idea how to fight? He has a big following, you know. So do I hate on it? No. Nah. But I mean, I'm happy to see people come see how hard it really is, you know, because it's it's not playing a video game. You might be really good at the UFC game, but it's significantly different, you know. Um, when your health bar goes down in real life versus your health bar going down in a video game, mm-hmm. significantly different feeling. Oh, okay. uh, so, I mean, I'm very supportive of people going after what they want and trying things in life. Um, but it def- I would almost say that I like it more so if people think jiu-jitsu or wrestling is really easy, <laughs> come try a jiu-jitsu class. You're going to be like, holy shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's where you watch guys, you're at a bar watching fight, and they're like, get up, get up. And you're like, well, you don't <laughs> think he wants to get up? Like it's it's not quite that easy to just uh-huh. get up with a dude on top. Yeah. yeah. I see a dude that doesn't want you to get up. Mm-hmm. But- so I don't necessarily mind it so much. Um I would definitely say that sometimes it can take away from the legitimacy of it when you get a guy who's like doesn't belong in a cage and they give him a good matchup to make him go look good. Like, um, because then it does look like any guy off the couch can just go do this, you know, because they give a guy a, an opportunity to go fight. And then who's, I don't want to say there's no business fighting, but sometimes it does make the sport look easier than it really is but I'm, i can't even be mad at them for that at the end of the day it's show business it's a for-profit businesses Money. if they can get a guy who probably shouldn't be in the cage to fight and sell more pay-per-views or whatever i can't really hate on that because it's it's good for the sport at the end of the day too if the sport's growing then you know it's i mean i i would rather see more people try and take fights than less people I think if anything, it's going to eventually build to more credibility in the sports. People are like, bro, that shit's fucking really hard. <laughs> that shit sucks getting punched in the face. Most people have never been hit in the face. Like, They might have been like touched in the face, but it's different when somebody knows how to throw a punch and clocks you. Mm-hmm. you know, or like really tries to choke you. I mean, you feel desperate and then you're like, because you know, there's a lot of armchair quarterbacks, especially in fighting, they're like, oh, Cerrone's such a little bitch where he curled mm-hmm. up. And I'm just like, <laughs> that foot, a broken orbital, a broken nose. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, his shoulders are really hard thing to hit someone. Get kicked in the face. Like, yeah. I mean, that boy, like thirty something unanswered strikes. Like, what a little bitch. Like, mm-hmm. well, I, mean, I can see doing? why somebody who's never done it could feel that way because you watch a lot of these fights. You're like, I see girls that that don't curl up like that. Like, I, yeah. I bet one of those girls would make you curl up like that, though. You know, like. Um, the flip side of this conversation is, like, it's easier for you to get into their realm because we we briefly mentioned the pro wrestling thing in the, in the beginning, how you showed up at the Impact show. I, I, I feel like MMA fighters, you could excel there easily. And I saw the video of you going in the ring and doing, like, the flips and whatnot. I'm like, this guy yeah. could fucking yeah. walk in there tomorrow and probably have, like, a five-star match with somebody. Yeah, like you, so I mean, it's, I w- I w- I'll get the same thing for wrestling as I'll say for fighting. It's a lot harder than it looks um, because I'm naturally already a gifted um, grappler, very high level submission grappler. A lot of the moves come very easy to me in the sense of I already know how to manipulate somebody else's body for real. So if I don't really have to be torquing his wrist to really turn like it, it makes it the transition from MMA into wrestling has been very smooth for me. 
but it's not easy, man, especially taking bumps. Um, wrestling is a very, it's a lot harder than people think that the conditioning is a lot harder than people think like getting blown up in the ring, remembering spots on the fly, being able to communicate and then do something. Um, and all while keeping in mind where you are in the ring and what's going on around you and telling the story of doing it. So wrestling's just like I'm saying with fighting where it's, dude, it looks easy to watch on TV. And especially if you're watching WWE where these guys have fantastic footwork, yeah. fantastic ring spacing, and you watch it and it looks like such an easy dance. And it's not. It's really not. Um, and I thought wrestling was going to be a much easier transition when I first got into it. But learning about like the spacing and the face up when you're selling, you know, like it's so much and taking bumps. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's really tough. Um, so I have a ton of respect for, for professional wrestlers that are doing it. And I absolutely had a newfound respect for it when I really started doing it. When I first started doing, we were doing like rolls and a little bit of chain wrestling. And I'm like, Oh, this shit's easy. Uh I mean, and that's, that stuff's very transferable from MMA, but a lot of the rest, the storytelling, the, the communicating on the fly and being able to do that right then. Mm-hmm. Like you go to whip the dude and you might be like, you know, hard whip, feet out, uh, arm drag, arm lock. And it's, bro, and that's like, you got to say it like this, like, both guys better fucking hear it. Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's way harder than, um, than the professionals make it look. But I would say the same thing with boxing, jujitsu, all of it the professionals make it look significantly easier like some dude on the couch could just go do it and mm-hmm. that's not the case um you know like the average person can even take a bump bro not like oh, no. i tried it man i went to a wrestling school jersey all pro wrestling i went there about six months dude. i got the shit kicked out of me man i was like yeah this isn't my thing this is bro it's it's tough, it's tough. It's, luckily i'm a big dude who can hold my own like with if someone was trying to like stretch me you know but yeah. it's even even a best case scenario, bro, wrestling is tough. It's not in, it's much harder than it looks on TV or in a video game, you know, um, which I'd say is very similar to fighting. People ask like, well, what's harder? They're different kinds of hard. They're, they're different things are challenged in each. And what the objective is of each is different. You know, like, would I rather take a bump or get punched in the face? I'd probably rather take a bump, but mm-hmm. would I rather get punched in the face once or take five bumps? I'd probably, you know, where it starts being like, I mean, they, there's different it's they're different but they're hard you know it's not it's not as easy as the professionals make it look i mean i don't imagine that's like a lot of stuff in life like you watch a football game and a guy throws like a 50 yard pass that gets intercepted like oh he sucks like mm-hmm. the fuck he couldn't even throw a ball 25 yards like <laughs> like it's and these are all freak athletes out there too so you know these things are happening against almost unnaturally gifted athletes you know like it's same in wrestling, you know, or fighting. Like it's freaks. They're they're all freaks, man. Oh, 100%. percent. You know. Now, are are you gonna be taking bookings for wrestling while you're actively pursuing the MMA career, or are you gonna stop one and then transition to the other? So I would like to be doing both. Um, I have a pretty cool little um, thing set up right now with um, the people that I'm fighting with. Um, so the people that own Lights Out Extreme Fighting on Fox Sports also own championship wrestling from Hollywood. Okay. So I have that whole little network. So um, I have a cool little in with that. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean anything for sure, but I know that they're interested in using Bulletproof Troop on both platforms and bringing me over when I'm ready. Um, Because, I mean, I feel like I'd be able to wrestle safe, but I want to be able to come out and be, 
I don't expect to be the best in my first matches, but I want people to be like, man, this kid's got potential. Um, and beyond just some potential, like, man, this kid could be could be huge. You know, I've already got years of the gimmick down, the promo work and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of proper in-ring performance stuff um, to really maximize uh, when I make that transition. Because once you've debuted, I think the debut is one of the most important matches in a career. Oh, yeah. Um, First impression is so, always the biggest one. Exactly. So I want to make sure that it's a good impression um, in the right places. I've also fought on Access TV a bunch of times. So Access TV owns a bunch of fight footage of me. Access TV also has New Japan and now Impact. I know New Japan's leaving, but so I've got a, I've got a handful of cool little bonus things that a lot of people, almost nobody has, you know, like if they could use my fight footage on a championship wrestling Hollywood yeah. or my fight footage on an impact wrestling because they own the footage. Mm-hmm. It really allows my character of being a professional badass yeah. to, it all ties together, you know, which is uh, mm-hmm. something that I plan on using. But like I said, at the right time uh, with the right opportunities, you know, I'm definitely going to be protective of my brand where I'm not going to be taking by tons of bookings and nothing against people that are choosing to do that. But, because of my my fighting background, it'll definitely be something I'd like to do both of at the same time. But I mean, for the next eight weeks, my focus is this fight. This is an extremely pivotal time. And but if I'm the champion now and lights out, man, who knows who I might call out? I might call out Nick Aldis. Who knows who's going to get called out after I win this fight? That'd be interesting, wouldn't well, it? Now, now you make a very good point though, because all they need, because it's not going to take much to introduce you. All they need is your fight footage, just you knocking motherfuckers out, and be like, "Hey, this is Blake Bulletproof Troop." A nice voiceover, and boom, you're set. You're you're already made for even walk through the curtain. You know, right. it's easy. And that's and that's things that, I mean, there's quote unquote MMA gimmick guys in fighting, you know, but I got the I'm the real deal, you know. And if they have the access to that footage, like like Championship Wrestling Hollywood will because the lights out or impact because of access TV. It's just another thing that adds to the credibility before I get in the cage of being a legitimate badass, you know, mm-hmm. professional ass kicker. And um, I plan on using, using that same gimmick and stuff. I want to bring Bulletproof Troop into professional wrestling. I don't want it to be Bulletproof Troop and fighting and then whoever in wrestling. I would like to try and marry the two brands as much as possible. Um, Right now, all I got on my mind is this fight on, on March 13th. So it's going to happen. I've been fight. training at Santino Brothers Wrestling. Um, I've been training for a little bit over maybe a year and a half. So, I mean, I've been training for a long time. I'm, I feel like I'm really picking it up quickly, particularly the moves and stuff, um, and learning about the storytelling and, and um, kind of how to orchestrate the crowd into, you know, when you're building up comebacks or hopes and things like that. Um, or trying to find your big, you know, your big spot for the match, like, um, and how to use my character in the story, you know, because who's bulletproof troop? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna wrestle differently than a guy who's five, ten, 170 pounds, mm-hmm. you know, like, versus six four, two forty, professional ass kicker, like, you know, um, and high level. I'm a two time world champion, purple belt agency, five time North American heavyweight submission wrestling champion, as well as just tons of other medals. Um, so like how how I'm going to use that guy within the within the story to or to, to help as a character to, to help tell the story to entertain the crowd because at the end of the day it's about entertaining the crowd and and the crowd enjoying the show you know um, and so figuring out how to do all that I'm excited about it though I really I really like the professional wrestling stuff I I really enjoy it 
Brian Kendrick's one of my coaches, and he's a fantastic storytelling coach who really because the moves are interchangeable, whether it's a body slam or a hip toss or an arm drag. It could have been whatever moves, but but using the moves to tell the story to try and get something over to the point where you want to see a guy win or see a guy lose. And like, you know, the heel might do some type of cheap move. It might be a nut shot or it might be an eye poker. That's interchangeable, but it's a heel doing some cheap yeah. stuff to make him not be liked and and being able to tell that story in there. Uh, so I'm really excited about the wrestling. I'm, I'm really excited about the wrestling. What's your finishing move going to be? So I've got a handful of finishing moves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would keep it relatively simple. I think because of the amount of shit that I talk, I'd be more of a heel. And I mean, just like an overhand right, I'd call my hand grenade. I'd pull oh, the and just overhand right. I'd be one of them. <laughs> Another one's the elbow, where it's just like a jumping spike elbow. Bam. Okay. I could do that because it's something Brian Kendrick told us. He's like, man, when you're coming up to finish a move, pick something that you could do 300 nights a year. Yep. Multiple times in a night. He's like, 540's dope. But, dude, if you got to do that multiple times or you smash a guy's face one day, he's going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. Where I could throw 50 hand grenades in a match and it'd be easy for someone to counter, easy for it and believable for it to be a knockout multiple times in a night, whatever. Or I could do, like like I said, the, the jumping spike elbow, the elbow. I could do that in the cage. I could do it off the top rope. I could do, I could do it anywhere, you know? And a guy, a guy could be in the corner. I could do it and I could miss and hit my elbow and be like, oh, and then he starts working my arm. Where there's... It's a versatile move that has almost no ability to go wrong. Yep. Even in its worst, like, okay, I might cl- I might lightly clock you in the face a little bit. Like, you know, I'm not going to flip on some guy's face or, you know, leg drop and smashes. You know, so those would be my two big ones. And because I'm a fighter, throwing hand grenades and elbows. Mm-hmm. And then I'll probably have some type of slam that I'm going to call a truplex. Truplex. Like you know? <laughs> um, like play on what that'll look like exactly at this point. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but I mean, and then I'd probably have a handful of submission holds I do. I might even try to bring back like just the full Nelson. Because I could pick guys up. They just hook their arms back on me. I can pick them up and make it seem like I'm shaking them around. I'm 6'4", 240, so I can. Yeah. If I needed to pick up Braun Strowman, I probably could, you know. Um, but it could be a, a, a battle where it's, you know, arms coming down, just like the Master Lock kind of was, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Where it could sell a whole little battle right in there you know um so i mean i'd say something along those lines i'd probably have a submission i like the full nelson because we'd be up and standing i could swing him around and make it really look like i'm really theatrical exactly Um, the hand grenade the elbow um and a truplex and a submission hold i mean that would probably be and i'd be more of like a technical chain wrestler loudmouth that'd be putting the guys down in the spots talking shit blah 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 things of that nature would be what i would imagine um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they want me to be a face too, just because I'm kind of a pretty boy, white boy. And I, but I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. I think those are small details of like what my finishing. I think it'd for sure be hand grenade or elbow, truplex, and a submission hold. You know, and I think that's a nice little variety of professional ass kicker moves. You know, I like it. Very believable. And the cool thing is, you can hit it on anybody. So if you're fighting Big Show, you can hit it with a hand grenade. If you're fighting Brian Kendrick, hit him with a hand grenade. You don't have to adapt your style. It's like, oh, wait, he can't do his move on this guy because he outweighs him like 300 pounds, you know? Right. You exactly. can him. I love him. Easy to counter, easy to throw, very low dangerousness, you know, like. Hey, you got time for two more questions? These are I two. Got as much time as you need me for, brother. Hey, I, there's this weird thing that I, I, I just have to ask you about since you're in the industry. You know how they're letting trans women fight 
women now in the women's division. How do you feel about that shit, man? Uh, it's, it's, it's so I'll, wrong. I'll start my... by saying that I respect people's rights to yeah. be whatever they want to be, man. If you want to say you're a meat popsicle, you're a fucking meat popsicle in my book. I don't really give a shit about any of that. I think everybody has the right to absolutely whoever whatever they want um and i support that when you want to start talking about sports competition i think that it definitely makes it it changes the game a lot um especially if you want to talk about combat sports where someone's actually hitting somebody else in the face you know not that there's not i think some trans people i think it'd be more acceptable where they're not as testosterone built through life versus some that some that are, you know, um, it's definitely a really tricky thing. Cause like I said, I support people's rights to be whatever the yeah. fuck they want. You know, if you want to self-identify as, like I said, a fucking meat popsicle, you know, I'll call you meat popsicle. I don't really give a shit. <laughs> but, um, in sports competition, I definitely think it changes things. Like you see some 16 year old boys won like CIF wrestling for women for the last like three years in a row. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I think that they need to figure out some time. I mean, I, I think that sports competition should be your biological birth um, sex or gender or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, I think people being able to socially claim whatever they want, I'm okay with that. Um, I mean, it's definitely another tricky slope where you want to talk about like bathrooms and kids. and yeah. But if strictly with sports competition, I think that there's an unfair biological advantage to men competing against women in I mean, just about any sport, and ping pong, I'd be cool. Or like, fuck, even golf. Like, I think that it'd be unfair for a, a biological male to compete mm-hmm. against a biological female in the majority of sports, particularly combat sports, where damage is being, especially a striking combat sport, like <laughs> wrestling. I think, but man, if you're beaten, you know, like it's. It just doesn't look good. Yeah, so you know Fallon Fox. There's so there's a girl who's like broke a girl's skull. So my one of my teammates, my friend, actually beat her. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, That's fucking dope. She's well, a bad I... chick though, Ashley Evan Smith. Um, she's a bad chick. She signed to the UFC. But um, I mean, yeah, I would say that's where my stance would be on that. Like I said, I support people's rights to to represent themselves in whatever way they want. But I think sports competition, especially combat sports, I think that it's an Unfair advantage. What the solution is, I'm not sure. If they, if they should have their own division or if they should be competing by a lot. I don't have the answer, but I can just tell you that I think in sports competition, I think that it's an unfair advantage to have that type of biological difference. That's a great answer. And I, I think the answer is clear. I think if you're born a man and you want to turn into a woman, that there should be a division for them. If you're a woman who identifies a man, make a division for them. That's it. That's the solution. They, they... I, I, think, I, I think that's the, the most simple way to go about it, you know? Um, but then there's like gender fluid or I don't see, I don't know enough about this stuff to really. Dude, that, that's mind blowing shit right there, man. There's not enough weed in my fucking pipe to figure, to figure that out. <laughs> that gender fluid shit is just, I don't know, man. That's just when yeah. you get to Twilight Zone. I don't know enough about it to really be an expert, but that would be my opinion on the uh, sports competition aspect of it. Yeah, my my understanding of it is you can be a man in the same sentence as a woman. So you can change throughout the course of the day. So you can kind of snap it in. That's that's about. I mean, that's what I figured it was something along those lines. But yeah. Last question I got for you, bud. CTE. Do you have any concerns because you're going from 
from fighting in MMA to professional wrestling, where you take a lot of bumps a lot of days of the year. Do you have any long-term concerns on that? How do you protect yourself? Um, I mean, not particularly, because I'm already crazy. Um, (laughs) I I mean, yes and no. I I always tell people, your brain's the main muscle you flex when you hustle. You know, it's your hustle muscle. So you absolutely want to take care of it as much as you can, but also, I mean, in combat sports, like, you're going to be getting hit in the head wrestling mm-hmm. you're gonna be taking bumps in the head whether it's hitting your own head on a bump going to having a chair thrown at you whatever so i mean i think it's being as minimizing the excess that you need to take um i don't do a ton of hard sparring anymore um i think you need it in a, to an extent at the beginning of your career to, to weed out the people that are going to be able going to be able to take a shot and being able to give a shot because it's not everybody can apply damage to people or have damage applied to them without not wanting to play anymore. You know, so you definitely need it to an extent. But now that I know I'm a tough guy, I know how to hit hard, I know how to control myself. All my my training now is more, or not all of it, but the vast majority is technical sparring. Instead of just taking these excess shots, I know I'm going to be taking shots in the cage, um, and that's inevitable. But it's a matter of the excess and shots that I need to take. Same thing with like. You know, I wouldn't just be taking t- chair shots in the head every weekend because I'm like, oh, death match. No. You know, um, and props to people that choose to do that. I, I just know the amount of damage and the experiences I've had in my life that, um, you know, I've had multiple high-speed motorcycle crashes. Like, I've, my body has a lot of mileage on it, so I'd be particular about the excess mileage or the unnecessary mileage that I didn't have to take, um, you know? So am I worried about CTE? I mean... You see guys like Aaron Hernandez, who's Ooh. had a wild life. I haven't seen this documentary yet, but I keep hearing how wild, or there were so many wild things in his life. And then they talk about how bad his CTE was. I mean, it's definitely a little bit concerning um, because who wants to, you don't want people to be looking at this and be like, man, this guy had a wild life because, and you're, you know, and I can't say, I don't I didn't know the guy before he played football or, his entire life. So I can't speak on him as a person and what the CTE likely had to do with it. But some of the things you hear about CTE, it definitely sounds like CTE had something to do with the decision-making and impulsiveness and violence and so forth. Um, is it a concern? Yes and no. I know uh, I'd rather be living my life than living in regret, you know, or live my life the way I am than living with regret. But I'm also going to try and be as smart about it as possible. I'm not just like, fuck it, I'm a fighter. I don't care. I'm just going to, you like, I, you know, I don't want to be a vegetable. So I'd be strategic about the mileage that I'd be putting on my brain and body as a whole, you know. Do you see it hurt, hurting sports and combat sports? Just the knowledge that they have on CT now, like parents not letting their kids get into certain things. Do you see like football ending eventually? Or, or I think that you'll, you'll continue to see more and more regulation to protect it. I think that it's too big of sports for them to let it die. Um. I definitely think you'll see a bigger, a bigger rise in sports like baseball again, basketball, um, as fun, opposed yeah. to like football where it's a lot of bang, 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 you know. Um, but even the banging in football, you're seeing significantly more personal injuries or roughings or, you know, you can't, um, what's it called, like spearing when you hit them with the, like where it's significantly more regulated, you know, um, which I think is a step in the right direction for the longevity of careers. People want to complain, like, oh, it's pussy now. Like, 
those are probably the same people who have never played or never the same armchair quarterbacks are like Cowboys a bitch, you know, like, <laughs> um, so I don't really have a problem with it becoming more and more regulated, especially for children, um, with like developing brains. I'm a 32 year old adult. My brain's pretty much developed. Not that it's not going to damage wouldn't hurt it now, but a developing brain, I think is much more vulnerable to, to taking damage, you know, um, I think it will. You will see growth of other sports. Like, I mean, I would say jujitsu is going to be probably the biggest combat sport in the country in within a few years. I mean, with wrestling, because there's no striking in it. You know, I think you're going to see less boxing and so forth. MMA is growing, but the amount of parents that are really going to allow kids to compete in it, I think it's. I mean, I'm happy all the studies are coming out because it it allows people to be much smarter about the choices that you're making whether you want to allow your kid to do that or if it's you that you're going to do that. I think it's great for knowledge is power, you know? Um, So I think that it'll, I think that it's good. I mean, I'm happy that all these studies are coming out and stuff. I think it will continue to impact sports. Like we see the NFL with rules changing and concussion protocols, but that's where we're going to see it the most is where the money, where the money's at, where the money's at is where the research is going to happen. You know, not, not, they don't care about high school kids, but there's no, there's no money in it. Yeah. No, you want to talk about the NFL, you're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars mm-hmm. every year. So what's $20 million in research? I mean, not that $20 million is not a lot of money, but when you start looking at the size of different pies, mm-hmm. you want to talk about $20 million for a school or university budget, please, you know? Yeah, yeah it ain't going to happen. Hey, man, you got to check out the Aaron Hernandez thing. So it's like three hours. I heard it's wild. Dude, you're going to binge it, man. It's fucking amazing. It's such a good thing. Such a good time, just like this podcast was, man. And this is my favorite part of the show. And I really appreciate you coming on, giving me a chance, you know, and uh, just having a good conversation. I learned a lot. But this is my favorite part of the show. Plug your shit, man. Plug everything. Everything you got, plug it right now. Whatever cool. You got. So if you guys want to check me out, social media, at Bulletproof Troop on Instagram is my main platform. If you want to pick up some dope merch, I got all kinds of fresh stuff, bulletproofroop.com. Shout out to my gym, Black House MMA, my coaches, Kenny Johnson and Rage. Um, shout out to my big sponsors, Rock LA, Rock IV, Dr. D, MMA events in Gym Crashers, um, Insight Graphics, Apex Defensive Strategies. Um, and shout out to all my Bulletproof Troopers and Bulletproof Troopettes around the globe, baby. We taking over. 2020 is our year. A big shout out to Will for bringing me on today. I had a blast talking to you, brother. Thanks, brother. It's been a great time. And but and who are you knocking out Friday the thirteenth? I can't say yet. Darn it! I can't say get, yet. I try to I get can't out. Say yet, but someone's going to sleep. Oh hell yeah! Nightmares man. coming back to town. There he is, Blake Bulletproof Troop. Thank you, and you know, thanks for coming back to the Voice of Misery, people. Yes, it is I, Bin Hameen, commanding all of you to join the wrestling revolution, the underground of media, and follow our brothers at Voices of Misery on Twitter and subscribe to their podcast because they support hackerhameen.podbean.com and you will go support voicesofmisery.podbean.com because there is no more misery when you leave those FM Mark channels and you join the media underground of Voices of Misery and hackerhameen.podbean.com. Rise and praise, y'all. <laughs>